Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're live. We're live. Here we are. We are in the T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas, Nevada. Hi, everyone. It's time for the Canelo versus Charlo official morning combat post-fight show. How are you? My name is Luke Thomas. I'm merely one half of your hosting duo here for Morning Combat. Uh, they can't pan the cameras. Brian Campbell is directly over here to my left. He's going to do CBS Sports HQ, and then he's going to join us because old Brian Campbell has a lot to answer for, does he not? He had predicted that it was going to be Jermel Charlo that was going to win. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Didn't go that way, did it? No, it didn't. Now, you might be hearing some folks in the background. That is the dulcet tones of Miguel Flores. There are two more swing bouts from the preliminary card that they're going to air right... Oh, not, not actually, they're not going to air. They're going to just have them right behind us. So you might hear some of that as we get going. We'll go for about 30 minutes or so, not the typical hour we go for some of the other post-fight shows. Let's get to the results right away, and then when Brian Campbell joins us, we'll recap everything with him. Canelo Alvarez absolutely dominates, and I do mean dominates, Jermel Charlo, dropping him, I believe, in the seventh round. Let me get the scorecards, if I may. I think Charlo won one round on one of the judges' scorecards and then two rounds on two of the others. Your scores are as follows for the main event. Gaff, I can hear you, by the way. Here we go. Scorecards for Canelo versus Charlo, 119-108, 118-109, 118-109. Canelo wins via uh, unanimous decision and retains, of course, all four of the super middleweight belts that he had moving into this contest. Folks, I don't know if I would go so far as to call this a mismatch. I don't think that's quite right. Charlo was able to go the distance. On occasion, land a decent punch on Canelo. As I mentioned, he maybe won a round or two, depending on the scoring. Uh, But in general was, I will say, not not a mismatch, but very overmatched ultimately in this contest. Uh, if I, Gav, I can still hear you, by the way, just real quick on that. Um, you get the idea. So what happened? Canelo had, and I think operated in this fight, like he had a point to prove. He was stalking Jermel Charlo basically from the word go. Took his time a little bit in the first round, but by the second round, it was off to the races. This is something that we had talked about in the preview. This is something that we had noted on tape was really going to be something that Jermel, excuse me, Jermel Charlo might succumb to and was going to be a big part of how this fight was going to be adjudicated, namely the movement. Why? Because Charlo gets backed up to the ropes relatively easily. It wasn't just Tony Harrison who did it in two fights or Brian Castaño who did it in two fights. 
Jason Rosario was able to do it too. Jason Rosario was not really known as like a very clever, heavy forward pressure guy. That's not exactly his forte. I mean, he can do it a little bit, but it's not really what he does. And even he was able to back up Charlo all the way to the rope line. Now, of course, that was all the way back in 2020 when he fought Rosario, but you get the idea. The last fight against Castaño, that happened as well. He gets backed up to the ropes relatively easily. It wasn't like he was fighting Canelo off the whole time. Canelo would get up there and begin to just work his combos. He was throwing his right to the left arm of Charlo. Why? Because Charlo has a very devastating left hook. It wasn't very useful in this particular fight. I think he landed it maybe a handful of times at most, something like that. Not all of them very clean, not all of them very hard. I think like one or two decent left hooks got through from Charlo, but the point I'm trying to make is not many. And then Canelo begins to build. So if he's throwing to the arm, now he's throwing up top. Now he's throwing to the body. Then he's switching to the other side, and he's throwing left hooks to the body, left hooks upstairs. He just began to cook. And then as he really got Charlo up against the ropes, he, he hit Charlo with the same uppercut that he had hit Caleb Plant with, where he fades off to his own left. Charlo or Plant have no place to go but right. He kind of corners him and stops him, cocks back the right hand. What do they do? They dip down thinking it's going to come sort of as a hook, and then he greets him right on the inside with an uppercut. He hit him with that and then dropped him in the seventh with an absolutely fantastic overhand right. I don't think Charlo knew where the punches were coming from, based on some of the looks and the setups that Canelo was giving him. Canelo comes over the top with his right hand, and Charlo had a decently tight guard. He's not a defensive wizard, per se, but he is reasonably studious with it. He had his hands right here. That thing came through, that punch from Canelo came through like a tomahawk right in the middle, split it. Charlo takes, I think, one more punch and then elects to take a knee, as BC might call it, the Kodo knee, where the punch didn't actually knock you down. You just didn't want any more in that particular moment, right? In any case, he takes a knee. That's a 10-8 round, and he just kind of cruised from there. I thought Canelo looked the best he's looked in quite some time. He looks better than he did in the John Ryder fight. I certainly think that Jermell Charlo is a better fighter than John Ryder. I, I don't... Yeah, obviously looked better than he did against even Triple G, and certainly I would also argue against Bivol. Now, the Bivol one's different. It was 175. You get the idea, but Canelo looked pretty good here. His output didn't fade too badly in the last three-ish rounds. Slowed down maybe a little bit, but not that bad. Scored, I think, on Steve Farhood's unofficial scorecard, the first five of the six rounds. So got to work early, even though he's sort of a notorious slow starter in that way. Dropped him, as I mentioned, in the seventh. Added up more rounds as we headed into the twelfth, and I thought to myself, I'm not even sure what the score is, but I can say this quite comfortably. Charlo can't win this fight unless he stops Canelo in the twelfth, and he just didn't. He couldn't. There was nothing for it. Canelo and his team, this is something that they're very gifted at, and you see it obviously much more in wins than you do losses, but their ability to assess an opponent and come up with great answers for it. They knew that Charlo, again, he has... He has a decent guard where he keeps his hands up, but he is susceptible to the body because he doesn't transfer his defense all that much. He kind of keeps it a little bit locked and then just kind of rolls the dice on what kind of punches he'll be able to block versus not. So they went to the body. That was a great answer that they had ready for him. They went The punching to the arm, the left arm in particular, of Jermel Charlo taking away that left hook, that was brilliant as well. He had well-timed jabs, and again, he was just walking him down right into the rope line, right, right backwards or in to the, the, the post, the ringside post, the, um, the corner post. 
pushing him back there as well. Charlo, you thought if he was going to win, what was he going to need? The lateral movement, which he had a fair amount of. That was decent. You know, Canelo had to kind of find him at times. But this was the big part. He wasn't jabbing very much. And the other thing that really sort of stood out to you is for a guy who's got a great one-two, you almost never saw it. Of the two that landed the better uppercuts, it was Canelo. Canelo just blasting, as I indicated, Charlo with an uppercut in the second half of that fight. That reminded me exactly of the one he hit on Caleb Plant. If not in this arena, I think it may have been at uh, MGM Grand Garden. Either way, in this city. And you would have thought Charlo would have gone to the jab a little bit. You would have thought he would have been a little bit more active. You would have thought he would have done something to get Canelo off of him. And he just never could. He just never did. That was never a part of this fight. There was never a part of this fight, once Canelo started moving downhill on him, that he was deterred by what Charlo was doing. Never happened. Charlo was never able to physically deter Canelo from what he wanted to do. So let's talk about some of the bigger questions related to Charlo heading into this fight. How was he going to navigate the two weight classes? You know, I think he probably did about as best as he could, but it didn't really amount to much. Canelo looked much thicker. <coughs> he looked naturally bigger, although his frame is smaller. But I mean, like, physically, like, when they were on the inside, who was muscling who? Who was the guy who was muscling the other folks? It was Canelo. Canelo looked to be, like, stronger on the inside. Even though I think Charles said he had ballooned up to, like, 173 or something like that. So, on the inside, he looked strong. Canelo did. So you're like, well, how was Charlo going to manage that? He didn't look slow by any stretch, but it didn't. It was weird, right? He didn't get dragged down by the extra weight, but he didn't get lifted by it either. It wasn't like it added a bunch of heft to his punches. It wasn't like it added a bunch of punch resistance to some of the stuff to the body or any other place. It just didn't do him a lot of good in this in this fight. So I thought he navigated that probably about as best as he could, but it wasn't. There was no real great upside to it, um, ultimately, for Charlo in terms of how he's going to navigate that. You already saw what happened when he backed him up to the ropes. Like, no problem at all. Got him right back up there time, time again and again and again and again. Charlo utterly unable to deter him. Couldn't get the left hook going. Dude, let me tell you something. If Charlo can't get his jab and can't get his left hook going, he just can't get going. He just can't win. That there's just not a circumstance where he can win and do that. It doesn't work that way. Those are his two best weapons by a million miles. And I also thought Canelo did a great job of not being in range for the left hook, in addition to just deterring it physically, not being in range when he was kind of swinging wildly to catch him. He was able to get out of the way and, kind of, and yet still restart that pressure campaign that he had the whole time. So, you know, how – oh, here was the other question – the other question was, what about the time off that Charlo had? Was it 16 months since the Castaño fight? I do think that it hurt him. We had Charlo not on this particular stage, but on the little dais that we had, the little, oh, not, not lectern, that's not the right word, but yeah, the little, the little riser that we had in the production room at the studios for Wednesday's press conference. We had, it was BC. This was, the, this was the moment that you might remember when BC threw me under the bus to Jermel. He was like, I'm riding with you. And then BC's like, but he's a snake. He's not. Yeah, that's, this is why. <laughs> this was why I was not riding with him. I didn't expect necessarily this kind of one-way traffic, but I didn't expect him to win. That's why I wasn't riding. And, um, 
you know, it was a bit of a weird moment altogether when he was doing all that kind of stuff. But we talk about the layoff in that particular interview that we had with Charlo. He was like, I don't even believe in ring rust. And then he gets in here tonight and says, yeah, I didn't feel like myself. Well, I believe in ring rust. I, again, the rule with the ring rust after nearly 20 years covering fighters in the fight game is, whether it's boxing or MMA or any other combative sport where they throw strikes, the rule is pretty much the same. It doesn't affect every fighter every time. That would be false. But it does affect most fighters most of the time. When they've had a year or more layoff, even very good fighters, and let's not forget, at 154, Jermell Charlo, well, he's no longer undisputed. He actually got technically stripped of, uh, I believe, his WBO or WBA title, which now makes Tim Zhu the official um, champion for that particular belt at 154. They're probably going to have a fight to unify after the Brian Mendoza one if Tim Zhu wins. But, but you get the idea. He's still quite good down there. But up at 168, he had nothing for Canelo. Nothing. Not at all. And that ring rust, I absolutely think, made a difference. You go back to Tank and Ryan. Who had the tune-up between their fights? Tank did. Who won that fight? Tank did. You go back to Spence and Crawford. Who had the tune-up in their, in their, among those two before they had their big fight? It was Bud Crawford. Who won the fight? It was Bud Crawford. And who's been the more active one here? Not so much a tune-up, although I guess the Ryder fight you could call it that. It was Canelo. And who won? It was Canelo. Activity matters. So again, does ring rust affect every fighter every time? No, of course it does not. But it affects most fighters most of the time. And I absolutely believe it affected Jermell Charlo here tonight. So I mean, you'll just, you just begin to add up all of these circumstances, and you're just like, where was Charlo going to win? You know, you're looking at his game plan, too, getting backed up as easily as he did, not really firing back as much as you might imagine that he would. And this is the result. Not enough jabs, not enough power punches getting backed up too easily, then there's the ring rust. Power didn't, you know, he doesn't have bad power, but it didn't grow at 168. His punch resistance didn't meaningfully change at 168. Where were the, where were the ingredients contributing to success? Enough for a win, anyway. There just wasn't much. I do want to make one point before Brian sits down. He'll be done here in just a moment. If I can make one more point. And the point I'd like to make is I know some folks are going to clown or at least get after Derek James because Derek James has guided now Errol Spence to the defeat against Bud Crawford and, then of course, now Jermell Charlo against Canelo. And I know what folks are going to say. They're going to say, ah, you see, he wasn't very good. He's a big fraud. This was all a bunch of nonsense. And listen, that maybe guys' reputations get too much inflated at times or too much deflated at times. There can be hyperbole in either direction in the fight game around people's reputations. But let me just say this. The fucking task that he had was to send his fighters to go beat Bud Crawford and Canelo Alvarez. Guys, that's hard as shit to do. Yeah. Boy, if you went one and one in that particular uh, quest, I'd consider that super impressive. And now we're talking about a situation where they got to win both? Or if they lose both, now they're frauds? Get the fuck out of here. He has to fight, the, his two guys had to fight Bud Crawford and Canelo Alvarez. And Canelo Alvarez at a weight disadvantage. Frankly, both of those in weird weights. Errol Spence getting drained too much. I still think Crawford would have won. Still think Crawford would have won. But, you know, that wasn't the best weight for Errol Spence. And here's another one where he has to come up two different weights and win. So you can save the Derek James slander or, to bare minimum, you can more focus it around specific criticisms around potentially game plan or preparation or something very, very specific that you can identify as a weak 
swiftness as a feature, but just looking at the results and being like, oh, Derek James's guys lost back-to-back, you know, super fight main events. He must not be that good. I'm like, yeah, guys, they had to fight Terrence Crawford and Canelo Alvarez. Like, good fucking luck. <laughs> good luck. Two guys who are undisputed in their respective weight classes. Good luck. Good luck. You're going to need it. So I, I really will not tolerate, I'll say, unthoughtful Derek James slander as we get going. But I'll tell you, you know who slander I will tolerate? I will tolerate that Brian Campbell slander because he talked all this shit all week, just a gang of shit all week about how Charlo was going to win, threw me under the bus in front of Charlo to make, score a stupid point, and here he is having to explain to CBS his dumbass pick that he made on CBS Sports HQ where he went on a 15-minute diatribe about how Charlo was going to bring it, and the exact opposite thing happened. You know how long he goes on about picking Woodley over Till? I'm going to bring up this one as, like, the, the opposite of that. Hey, remember when you picked Charlo over Canelo, and Canelo beat the living dog shit out of him? Remember that? Remember that one? What was up with that called, Nostradamus? I'm going to do that shit. <laughs> I'm going to do that. Oh, they got, a, they got video of him? Oh, no, they can't do it? Ah, oh, dagger. Yeah, he's over there just bumping his gums. <laughs> oh, there he is. <laughs> Look at this fool being like, yo, guys, I'm sorry I picked Charlo. I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. God damn, I know nothing. I know nothing about this guy. I've been watching boxing for 40 years. You know what I know about it? Fuck all. <laughs> BC, I've been watching boxing for five minutes. I got more picks right than you. How's that possible? Huh? I can't wait for him to sit down. I'm going to grill him. I will say this. Before he comes back, because we'll talk about the Canelo fight, boy, how about the scoring in that Erickson Lubin Jesus Ramos fight, huh? 117-111. Erickson Lubin. I'm sorry. What the fuck were you watching? Patricia Morse Jarman? What the fuck were you watching? Because it wasn't anything here. Hey, hey, where's the guy that picked Charlo that I host the podcast with? Is he available? <laughs> Here he comes. Brian Campbell is now finished. Hey, are you the guy that picked Charlo? Can you have this seat right here? We can talk about it. <coughs> I don't know what's happening here. Can we, can we let him on air? Yeah, let's let him on air. Hey, why don't you just hit more things? What landed more punches, that lamp on your face or Charlo on Canelo? Honestly, I think it might be the lamp. <laughs> hey, what happened with that Charlo prediction? Is this going to be a professional show or is this going to be a, uh, <laughs> what is becoming the, the, I mean, the, let's, the let's, default let's, for a Luke Thomas production? I mean, it's actually pretty surprising that your immune system has held up this entire week. If you really want to, if you really want to compare who was scheduled to take the biggest beating, uh, look, let's be really honest right off. Front. By the way, here's our off socials below. You can follow us there. Uh, here, let's be honest right off front, and, and thank you for holding it down, Luke. While I was finishing up the news hit with our with our folks at CBS. Uh, this is a really bad performance for Jamel Charlo. Not great. Uh, we look back on it, and when he did enter the ring, black hoodie over his head, that scowl on there, was it intensity? Was it focus? Was it ready? Or was it a little bit overwhelmed? I think in hindsight we have to say maybe a little bit overwhelmed by the moment. Yes, you're looking at the guy who did pick him by upset, knowing that despite the weight difference, which I don't God think in the end is the story in the end of why this fight was lost, 
why this fight was lost is Canelo Alvarez really is that great and had such a technical advantage. But when we talk, Luke, about the disappointment of what Jermel Charlo didn't do to not come out and use the jab at all. This wasn't, I couldn't get the jab off because Canelo was countering me so clean. It was just not a part of Charlo's attack in the first half of this fight. That's not much in the second half That's either. unacceptable for me knowing what he was up against. Obviously, it seemed to be there was something built into Jermel's mind of the recent trend from Canelo in the last three fights where he looked a little agey, was fading late. That script flipped up, ripped, and we threw it away because Canelo here at 33 years and two months younger than Jermel Charlo looked like the bigger, fresher fighter. But Jermel, it wasn't so much couldn't get off, it was maybe wouldn't get off. And then, Luke, obviously the key here, and Canelo does this so brilliantly, is takes what's available to him. Charlo living behind that high guard for most of the first half of the fight. So what did Char Canelo do? Targeting the body, of course, but clubbing away at the left shoulder, the yeah. left bicep, the left arm in general of Charlo to say, look, if you have plans on using that jab or that left hook, which is your money and your go punch, that's not going to happen. I do want to obviously give Charlo some kind of credit. He did try to mount offensive surges in the second half, but it was going to be too much of an uphill battle against a guy who you're not going to land one punch against for the most part here, a guy who's never been down in Alvarez and has walked through shots from Triple G, Sergey Kovalev, on and on. Uh, disappointing in that regard because I felt like this could have turned into an interesting fight in the second half, but to see Charlo be so timid and really overwhelmed, overwhelmed by overwhelmed, the moment yeah. in the first half. And if you're going to be overwhelmed by the moment early, it's going to be harder to rally when your all-time great opponent across from you quickly answers any question as to whether age or decline will be in this it was not part of the equation. Unfortunately, Luke, on the flip side, this wasn't the best version of Charlo. So, you know, there was some form of a disconnect. You heard his corner in the second half. You know, they got bleeding, after him. Bleeding for him to, to start something, do something. And again, while he had a couple offensive stretches with combinations in that second half where you say, hey, maybe he can build on it. It's hard to build on that when you're down seven rounds to zero, when you're down eight rounds to zero. And obviously yeah. that seventh round knockdown, just an absolute beautiful shot from Canelo to curl that right hand in between the guard. Uh, you can't spend that much time with your back against the ropes either. Dude, and that's the thing. I thought the speed and the sting of Charlo's shots could not discipline Canelo, but could basically say, hey, you're not going to overwhelm me. You're not going to walk me down. You walked him down with ease. Walked him down with ease. I mean, this was the part that I thought was kind of interesting. We had talked about it. I did a whole preview for it, which kind of tanked out, which, 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 you know, made me sad. But the reality is... If we can get past your emotional status for a second. Well, there's also jubilation at your failure here. But nevertheless, if I could just be serious, I thought, okay, if if Harrison were gonna, was going to do it and Castagna were going to do it, but they were a little bit reckless with marching down, then you thought, well, maybe Canelo will be somewhat reserved. But Canelo's posture from the word go, BC, from the, not the opening bell, but the second round on, he was just almost running across the ring yeah. to establish it. And Charlo gave all of that distance away. Guys, if you're not pumping your jab, if your opponent is punching your arm for your bet, which is your best punch, which you know the left hook, and you're giving up the space in the real estate so your back is along the ropes basically the entire fight, how is that a winning strategy? Yeah. You're just not going to win that way. Now, now, do you think in hindsight here, we couldn't get inside the minds of Derek James or Charlo or obviously, well, am I not just not going to be able to remember Juwan Guzman's name this entire week? I just Probably got it not. right there. Uh, do you think the strategy was to, to wait on Charlo? Because it, when you're, I mean, to wait on Canelo, and the problem with that is Canelo will do that because he, he'll, he'll take the computer, take the snapshot. He'll give you a couple rounds sometimes to figure you out. Yet it was Team Charlo that's just like, no, we'll give the round back to you to, to just basically take. 
they had to be assuming he would fade late. I and think, that Charlo would come I on. think that when I here's what I believe. I believe that when they faced off, when even if he felt like he was going to be under pressure, Charlo and Canelo, that when he looked across from Canelo, he was going to see more openings and be able to land with more authority than what actually happened. Canelo, I think, you know, he would come with a high guard, but dude, Canelo gives a lot of looks that all look the same, and then the punches that come afterwards, they're all different. And Charlo got to a point, because to your point, he didn't start early enough, very quickly by the third round, you could see Charlo not knowing what punches are coming from the same setup because now he's getting confused. Yes. So between the retreating and the somewhat reserved posture, it just gave Canelo all of the oxygen he needed to get off to the strong start and then continue downhill and, thereafter. And that plays into an argument you and I had ahead of this fight where I basically said, This episode is supported by FX's Clipped. The scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. He's got to be on his wheels with the jab making Char Canelo chase because your only chance to beat Canelo for the most part, unless he's old and fading late and you can somehow stop him and no one's even dropped him, is to try to win more rounds with him. And I know, I know nobody beats him by decision, especially in Vegas. Not consistently, not typically. But when we saw Charlo by round three, we're realizing he's not here to box. If you're not here to box against the bigger man, the bigger puncher, then you're not here to win rounds against him. You're only here to try to set up some late surge. Mm -hmm. And to Charlo's credit at 154, that late surge brings... Works a lot. Brings menacing power that he can change the, 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 you know, the future of a fight with one punch. He did that against Harrison. He did that... Uh, with accumulated shots there against Castaño. Um, I'm disappointed in that regard because that was my argument to you, that if he's not trying to be the boxer early, knowing inevitably Canelo will adjust and make it a fight, then he's not going to win the fight. I mean... in what we saw. But, I'm not, but I don't think, you know, I can throw all of it on, on Charlo. Canelo does not give you openings. No, Canelo and can, and can, is we should say, on you. We should say Canelo had a renewed vigor yes. tonight that I think put Charlo in that posture he ultimately assumed a little bit more quickly and a little bit more authoritatively than otherwise the one he had against John Ryder would have for sure, done. For sure, for sure. And I also think, you know, for Canelo, he's getting in better shape. He's taking this more serious than a John Ryder. And then you saw that performance that he delivered right there at the end. I mean, just commanding. Let me ask you. I have, we didn't talk about this yet. What did you make of Canelo at the end being like, Cinco de Mayo, I fucking love boxing. Yeah. Boxing is my life. Like, he, there, something was on the line for him tonight about, I think, how he felt and how he felt about his place in the sport. Sure. And it was about reclaiming a little bit of that lost territory with some of these lackluster performances. Because while we said, look, we said, can, you got you to gotta kind of trust Canelo because as a, as a, you know, look, 
Membership comes privileges. When you're the when you're the pound for pound king, which he was up until about a year ago, and you are also boxing's biggest face. I mean, you have a certain level of wiggle room that other fighters don't. Yet he's largely used his power to help boxing, to help fans. So when he says, hey guys, you know, I agree. I haven't been at my best last three fights, but I know why and I'll fix it. I felt like we kind of had to believe him, but at the same time, it's like when he fixes that, he had the motivation to do so because I don't think Canelo has liked that in this three-fight stretch, which was a close loss to Bivol in scoring at least, and then obviously the two wide but ho-hum victories that followed that, I don't think Canelo has enjoyed all the fanfare that in Iowa. In a way, the monster's been getting or that Terrence Crawford who, by the way, just got, got a great, defeating a Spence. great pop here tonight from the crowd. So I think the motivation was mixed between the idea of Canelo saying, "Look, I know I had the the loss to 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 Bivol, and I know you guys maybe think I'm old from those last two performances, but I'm still in the debate of number one pound for pound." And would you agree or disagree that that performance at least puts him back in the conversation? Crawford won a new way too, and that's hard to put a guy who just did what a new way did at two. Yeah. But could you argue that Canelo put himself back in that discussion? I think that's the fervor and motivation that was in Canelo. And he, that's the reason why he went to Lake no, Tahoe. He, fought, he, he fought a guy two weight classes below him. No. I mean, well, yeah, but it wasn't the size that lost Charlo this fight. It was the skill gap a little bit, the strategy. A little bit. A little bit. First of all, we haven't talked about it. I mentioned it before you got here. I do think that the ring rust didn't help him. It didn't help him. He denied it was a big factor sure. on, but then he gets out here and says, I didn't feel like myself. Dude, that's the number one telltale sign. When a fighter says, I didn't feel like myself, and they've been off for a long time, probably ring rust is the factor. That's the first thing I'd like to say. And here's the other part too, BC. I think his power, Charlo's power at 168 was probably fine, right? I don't think it was bad. I mean, he put together combos in little moments in that second half that any other fighter may have shaken or whatever. Fair enough, fair not, enough. Not this Canelo. And it's, hard, and it's hard to know how big they are because Canelo's got one of the most rock chins you've ever seen in your life. But nevertheless, I agree that this was more of a skills issue than it was any other kind of weight issue if we're, if we're measuring one or the other. But I don't think that Charlo physically settled into 168 all that great. Here's what you have to ask yourself. There was the perceived speed advantage that, look, if you're combining a potential speed advantage with quick footwork and getting in and out with the jab like I thought he would do, it's one thing. He didn't he either didn't use the speed advantage or it wasn't as pronounced because he put the muscle on. So to your point, you know, I, I think a lot of people said maybe he should come in, not 167.4, same weight as Canelo, but maybe come in closer to 160 and really try to ride the speed. They ultimately, it seemed Luke chose to build on some mass on his body that maybe did not get physically overwhelmed. But, yeah. you know, I don't think that ultimately they put their best foot forward in this. But also, and this is something Steven Jackson said to us uh, during Friday's weigh-in show, He's also fighting a goat. He's also fighting a motivated goat mm. who really wanted to come out and, like I said, prove to us that he's still among the pound-for-pound pound best. But I, do you like what he did knowing Crawford's ringside? Just said, look, I mean, we say the F word? He said, I'll fight fucking anybody. Like, like it's just, you know, whatever. Okay, who should he fight next? No, 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 don't give me this bullshit about what, what could happen. Who should he fight next? There's two names that he should fight next. One, Bud Crawford. To David Benavidez. Don't want to hear anybody else's name. Okay. Don't want to hear anybody else's name. Crawford is a unique, insanely appetizing, just dream super video game fight. But, because Charlo, as you heard, also called out Crawford, saying that he's going to come back down full-time to 154. The elephant in the room is that he's got to fight Earl Spence first, meaning, meaning uh, Crawford. So if Canelo is pushing off to next May... 
Yeah, let's do it. The Mexican monster. Yep. David Benavides. I know Benavides appears to be headed toward a Demetrius Andrade shot uh, later this year. That seems to be the rumors. But here's the thing. He's coming. Do you want to wait? Do you want to wait till he gets older and more experienced if you're Canelo? You might have to do that fight. You got to do that one now. Because the I get, like, you know, even when Canelo was flirting with a second B-ball fight, which is such a level of daring to be great, that normally we'd be like, man, like, you can do whatever you want if you're going in that direction. Or even when Canelo was flirting with the idea of moving up to cruiserweight to maybe chase a title there. Um, it's hard to say, man, you're ducking. You're ducking Benavidez. But Benavidez just established himself earlier this year on the pay-per-view level against Caleb Plant, a dominant victory in the end. If he can do the same against Andrade if they make this fight, it's just like... But, what what, 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 what name am I not understanding who he should be fighting? What's up? MK fans in the house. There we but, go. But, Luke, the whole point on this is, like, I don't think in the in the court of public opinion, even with as dominant and incredible as this performance was and where we, were still, we are still saying he is pound for pound, if it's not Crawford and it's not Benavides, you're going to really start hearing it from the Benavides side that's like, you're on the same side of the line, like business-wise, TV-wise. Got two more fights with PBC. It, 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 it may be time to do that because would you agree, and I'm going to ask you your, your real opinion here, that Jermel's performance canceled a need for Jermal. Yeah. Should he come back? He's supposed to have a comeback fight later this year. Should he put himself in the I want to be I want to be careful about what I say because I don't want folks to look at this performance from Jermel and think, oh, Jermel's stock has dropped in a dramatic way in all ways. No, he dared to be great. Let's, right. let's put some respect on that. But what okay? I am going to say is this was a lifeless enough of a performance. Lifeless isn't quite the strong word. This was way timid. too timid of a performance, I think, to help his stock. Or to capture the imagination of Bud Crawford if the Canelo Alvarez opportunity really is there. Let's say he had a choice between them. Like the Crawford versus Charlo sweepstakes have, I think, plummeted in terms of interest after a contest like this. And Jamal, certainly the bigger of the two... But he's got plenty of questions. We've always said, like, part of the reason we wanted Jermel and not Jermel in this bout is because he's the more skilled of the two. Well, if he's the more skilled of the two, what oh would be the boy. argument for Jermel? What do they got? What do we got? Here's a tweet. Mikey uh, Mormala, great producer at CBS Sports, just hit me up. Terrence Crawford has tweeted at Twin Charlo, which is Jermel. Oh, God. Here's the quote. You went out sad, didn't even try to win. All you did was try to survive. You should be... Ashamed of you. <laughs> End quote. That is some cold ass direct she at from Bud Crawford. Dude, right Bud there. is feeling it right now. Well, I mean, rightfully, did you see his dress shirt tonight that he had on the red carpet? Holy crap. It was crap. like seven amazing shirts all put yeah, together. Yeah, you know how we said like Abner Morris has three different haircuts in one, like yeah. different ecosystems. Yep. Terrence had the same thing. All right, so Luke, to, to go back to that topic, Terrence versus Canelo is a hell of a fight. Is there any chance we could talk Errol Spence out of this? the need for this rematch? I don't think so. I think he wants it, unfortunately. I don't have much interest in it, but that doesn't mean he won't. Would you be more interested, and what do you think is better for the sport, Canelo versus Crawford, Canelo versus Benavidez? Canelo Crawford better for the sport, but Canelo versus Benavidez better for the hardcore side of the sport. And certainly for the Mexican fans, who, by the way, there were plenty of them here tonight. Good Lord, dude. This has been like the entire month of September in Las Vegas has been like Mexican celebration yeah, month. Did you see I got I got the, I got a mark here from that thing falling on me? Did you see that? Did you? 
from that that light or no sorry I headbutted the light the lighting you fixture did headbutt the, the light fixture yesterday yeah. people no one's talking about this that during our live uh, weigh-in shit uh, just thing, fell on me something fell and it hit you right in the crotch but it Not missed quite. like right it missed here. the target by like an yeah. inch you know yeah, what I mean yeah yeah they could have canceled your future fatherdom your future sire ability I would have been it would have been like three needles right you would have needed a sire for hire. Okay. A sire for hire. Not me. I had the thing. You think okay. I want to put your genetics into my family's bloodline? My Back Lord. to the genetics of boxing. Um, yeah, look, Bud Crawford versus Kendall would be absurdly special. You only have certain windows to make fights like this. To really. That's to make true. Two, Hall of, two Hall of Famers, two all-time greats that are operating in much wider divisions separate from each other that are willing to come together and the boxing public would embrace it. It would have so much meaning in the pound for pound race of the moment of this era. And oh, by the way, don't forget who said it. This guy may have gotten it wrong about the, what, what Jermel Charlo was gonna bring to this fight. Maybe it was wishful thinking for a little chaos in boxing, but it was a wrong pick. But I did say the day after Spence Crawford, that Crawford is so good, Luke, that should he try to F around and go up to 6'8 against that big red man, I wouldn't tell him not to. So Luke Thomas from the Canelo, the refined, refreshed Canelo that you saw this evening. What's a what, what's a what's a betting line on Bud Canelo? What's your early? What would be your early feeling on that? Give us something similar to what you got with here with Charlo in terms of the betting line. I'd say probably a minus four hundred or so. Dude, that's Bud Crawford that we're talking about. Canelo's much bigger. Yeah, minus four hundred. Yeah, right, that's I would still not expect. Crawford to win, but I want to see him try because he appears to be able to do the impossible. And what do you think about Crawford's uh, what do you think about the surface level of Crawford's trash talk to Charlo? You know, it's not I mean, even we great, it's not that. even great trash talk. It's just mean. It's just direct. It's like, yo, your parents don't even love you. It's like, god damn, dude. Okay, like, that's but, but in terms of what he's trying to say, what he's trying to say is, if I have these huge options for these big fights, why we're already there? We're already there. Are we already there? Hold on, I gotta turn this off. I have to do it. <laughs> I mean, you popped the team. Uh, yeah, all right. I guess we'll do the forward. Hey, Brian, what's your prediction for the fight? <laughs> oh, great pick. Great pick. That's your best prediction yet. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, I picked, uh, I picked Tavoris Cloud to knock out Bernard Hopkins once. That's, that's, that has lived in it. <laughs> hey, does this one cancel out the Woodley over Till, you piece of shit? Hey, there are two people on this earth that knew that Ngannou was, was <laughs> and you heckled me. There was also one, there was also one person on this earth that knew that we could beat Rogan and Ariel on a podcast. That's true. Uh, voting. That's true. Uh, you gave us no chance. What's no chance. Real quickly, because I want to wrap well, this up. Well, I was actually, I was already somewhere, but we just. Who gives a shit? Yeah, we left. Uh, Jesus Ramos and Erickson Lubin. Some of the worst fucking scorecards I've ever seen. 117-111 okay. for Erickson Lubin. Now, I will say this. Shakur Stevenson and Caleb Plant were like, oh, yeah, Lubin won this fight. And then you look at the scoring, you're like, dude, I don't think he won it even by that margin. No. Okay, so here's the deal. I can't support 9-3 to Lubin. I, I can't really even support a unanimous decision. But the whole time when I'm watching this fight live here, reading media scores online, not and, a seeing, great fight. and seeing not only our colleague Steve Farhood scoring, and that was what he saw from his vantage point, but also what the analysis was being put forth from, from our Showtime brethren, I thought that in general they were missing some of what Erickson Lubin was doing. I get that Jesus Ramos, by putting pressure and being right in front of him, 
He took away the power hand of Lubin. This was a passive performance from Lubin. But what Lubin did do, in my opinion, in a lot of those middle rounds, was still work that jab consistently. And for as much success as Ramos had, constantly cor cornering Lubin. And I do agree with, with Al Bernstein sort of saying, like, why is Lubin so willing to constantly back up to the ropes? Ramos was not overwhelming him with no. clean shots. Body shots here and there, which was a big part of his offense. But he would flurry against Lubin several times, and a lot of that got through. And it's just hard for me to believe that guy Look, lost. Look, there was just a lot of slow-paced rounds that the crowd booed. The fight was not great. The so, fight was not great. And did Ramos take his foot off the gas in the final? Three? Yes, he did. So I, yes, I did. basically had more rounds. It was the scored. De La Hoya versus Trinidad bit. I basically had more rounds scored for uh, for him in the early part of the round than anyone else seemed to do. But I thought some of those early rounds, again, were just so passive. Where would I have taken more of Lubin's jab, backing up, catching Ramos coming in? Yes, I did. So the key for Ramos here, Luke, is it, it's it's bad luck in a way. Basically, I thought it could have been. 7 5 either way is really what I'm saying here. I would have seven, lived five, with five. it a little bit if we had gotten that, but for Patricia uh, Morse Jarman to be like, yeah, 117, 111, get the fuck out of here. Um, uh, yeah, I, I basically was, there was one round I just couldn't figure it out because it was a shitty round. It was so even, and, and, and whichever way you go, really, either guy could have gotten the lean there. But it is a, it's a wake up call to Ramos, though, because for as yeah, much he did, as he didn't do enough. So look, he did discipline Lubin. But the jab was hitting. The jab was accurate. You've got to put that statement on. You've got to cr cross the line when you have him cornered against the ropes and light him right. up. There wasn't enough of that there in, in a big spot. Mario Barrios getting the best win of his career, oh, stopping Jordanis Ugas. And I want to just say this, too. I thought Barrios looked great. Getting back with Bob Santos was amazing. His yep, this jab. Is the second fight of their comeback. You were talking about Charlo not having a jab. Yes. Barrios didn't have that problem. But I want to say this. I... It was a decision. Okay, they should have stopped that fight. He didn't get finished, but they should have stopped that fight because Ugas's eye, the same eye that Errol Spence destroyed, it swelled up in this particular fight as well, which means it looks like it's a permanent Are condition. Are you saying Ugas should finish? Is that what you're saying? I, I think that his career might be over, I, and, I, and I mean that for his own health. I don't want to see that eye do that again. Here's what I'll tell you about Barrios, okay? Bob Santos turned him back into a boxer. The Barrios that we'd seen... Big balls, Aztec warrior for days, right? But we'd see him on the highest level against Keith Thurman and Tank Davis, and he fought admirably but came up short. Specifically against Thurman, he was a one-punch-at-a-time guy, and I know he was making the transition from 40 to 47, but Santos brought back not just the jab but the combination punching, the confidence, the double-triple jab, get out of there. He never was standing in one spot long enough for Ugas to really unload. And while Ugas, like, I, I don't want to be lost, what's, what's lost in, in, the, in the totality of the dominance was that Ugas was in this fight in the middle and that the middle rounds were really fun. It was a fun-ass fight for sure. a while. Yeah, actually, it was a good fight. And they were trading evenly, and, and, but I thought overall Barrios was getting the better of him. And look, this is a mature step-up performance because be honest with me, if Barrios had been outclassed in this fight, what would be his reputation after this? A guy who gives good fighters good fights but can't beat them. Right, max effort guy but just not good enough. Not good I enough. I think he opened up a new lane for himself, and it's going back to some of the boxing beginnings. Bob was originally his trainer, Santos. Then they kind of parted ways. Now we're back in. this. Second he was with fight. what, Virgil Hunter? Yes. Yeah, this for a second while. fight yeah. it was definitely a step forward because now, I mean, could you see him fighting boots? Could you see him fighting? Uh, I mean, that's you're, a tough You're fight. not going to get Crawford I mean, in there. Crawford's no. got bigger business. Boots but. they might do, but Boots, I think, works him over like a summer job. Nevertheless, great win for Mario Barrios. Love that. And then also the opening bout, Elijah Garcia. That was, a, that was like a mini war, right? Fucking great fight against Armando Resendiz. And the best part was the final combination, BC. He goes left hook to the body, which gets 
Resendiz to scrunch over. He goes right hook to the body and then doubles it up. So as Resendiz is elevating his own posture, he goes right into the other hook, sits him down, polishes him off thereafter. What a phenomenal, phenomenal nice combination finish. for a 20-year-old. What about the 20-year-old, though? He got hit a lot. He did. And he was in there with a game guy. Look, Ray, yeah, I was like, the guy brought it. The guy brought it. Resendiz, as you're telling yeah. me. The accent is on the second E, so it's Resendiz. Did a what's your name get you down? Resendiz nuts. Okay, we can end the show any point. All right, can you play the fart noise again? Uh, here's the point. Elijah don't, don't mind if I do. Elijah Garcia will be better from this. He's got to shore up that defense, though, in close range a little bit. But, hey, that kid held, held firm. He didn't, he didn't fall apart. He got rocked a few times. He didn't fall apart. All right? <laughs> there we go. By the way, Luke, I didn't say this in real time, but my tolerance for your disgustingness is getting out of hand. <laughs> during, during dinner tonight, which was Luke and I trying to scarf down some quick, uh, you know, fast food over there before we started, yes. you openly, openly shit your pants while, while we were sitting next to each other eating, which is gross enough. Okay, even for a humor are, guy are like Are you me. mad because you picked Charlo? Then as you were getting up and leaning forward, <laughs> and this wasn't like to get me. This is just your filth in motion. You let out three disgusting burps as you're bending up to pick up your trash. As I'm sitting there That's biting into true. my sandwich. I definitely, I definitely am guilty of the farting. Not your the lack of self Hygiene slash awareness among all others close to you. Um, oh, I'm aware you're close. You I just don't have, think you're worthy of anything. You must have many Dutch oven victims in your house. <laughs> many, many. Remember, like, I used to barbecue with that guy in Cleveland. Who would have known he had all those women tied yeah, up yeah, in the yeah, basement? Yeah. Like, that's definitely you right there. But hey, uh, why, why don't you pick some more fights? I mean, you're I doing did, really great. You know, I did pick Charlo by upset, and I have to say, um, <laughs> I have to say, I, I have to say, I'm a little disappointed. I have to say, it didn't go. It could have gone better for him. It could have okay, gone better for, for all the the lion fury that he has in the lower weight class. Yeah, it just, it, you know, it's like it's like when when you're by the fire pit and it's wet out, and your wife's like, "Don't, don't burn the soggy ones," because you know, it brings all that smoke up and mm -hmm. stuff, and you're trying to light that thing outside, and it just won't light. Yeah, he, he couldn't light the fire. He wasn't trying to light it that hard, though. You know, he was just kind of, he was trying, he was trying. Not, not that hard. All right, well, let's wrap this up here. So let's thank the entire Malka crew, uh, Luke and Gaff and Tristan and all the other serial killers that are here. Filthy oh, Phil. Wow. They'll just, I mean, they'll put on a great show and then stab you in the yeah, bathroom. Filthy I mean, Phil's got some crazy conspiracies that go well beyond Building 7. Just yeah, like, he's, he's just another level. Uh, thanks to the Showtime crew, of course, that are out here as well. Thanks to Mikey Morms, our intrepid producer from CBS Sports yes. on the ones and twos. Yes. And uh, thanks to all you folks. This week has been challenging for any number of different reasons. Uh, but uh, we persevered. We finished it. And we'll be back on Monday, right? I guess we are. <coughs> I mean, we are, we are paid to appear. Uh, are you all right with that? What do you? How about Cedric Dumbe at PFL getting a seven, or I think it was officially a nine-second How KO? about Stan Fairtex becoming the champ? Dude, I mean, Angela Lee retiring. Um, did you catch any New York, New York Penn Station this week? I, I did hear you coughing a little bit. Uh, I think it's from the kind of... Um, Weed I'm smoking. So are you? You're coughing all the way to the coffin, Luke. Ba -dum, ba -dum, ba -dum. <laughs> yeah. All right. So like and subscribe. Uh, yeah, Thank you guys yeah. so much for I watching, Charlo. Guys, I did. Hold there's, on. I mean, can we just like take a moment to think about that, Luke? I I picked Charlo. Uh, you know here's what, here's what I want. Here's what I want to say. Can I bundy this up? There we go. So I did, guys. Uh, you're gonna have to. I mean, I'm gonna have to deal with that. I also picked Woodley over Dill, but I did pick Charlo tonight. Um, do you? What do you think Canelo would say about me if he found out? That I picked Charlo. What do you call me, Cabronas? Cabronas? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Here, let me put the soundtrack to this picture. Ready? Here's a, here it is.
Yeah. yeah this, is, this is what picking Charlo looks like on this pay-per-view night. Undisputed versus undisputed. All right. All right. That's Brian Campbell. I'm Luke Thomas. We're done here at Morning Combat. We'll see you guys on this Monday. This our last show. It was great entertaining you. All Thanks right. for being here all week. We I'm appreciate it. I'll never see it. you again. Bye, guys. You got, you got.